0: (laughs) MSW Media.
1: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike, that there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich, and another for the poor or different rules depending upon
2: one's race or ethnicity. To serve as attorney general at this critical time is a calling
1: I am honored and eager to answer.
2: So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45.
0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 26 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, July 14th, and I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. And with me, as always, is Andrew
2: Torres. Oh, Allison, thank you so much. I am really looking forward to our show for today, in which we cover the most bonkers court appearance (laughs) ever since I Am Not a Cat. Um.
0: (laughs) Although I thought of the I Am Not a
2: Cat multiple times. It would not have been any less crazy
0: while watching that Zoom call. But first, we have to thank our new patrons who have supported us over at patreon.com slash aisle45pod for as little as a dollar an episode. So thank you to Happy Tyler Rhodes, Lisa Carrera, Gravy Seal, Tim the Enchanter. Oh, you know much that is (laughs) hidden, no, Tim. And I'm starting to think the people I support on Patreon only care about me for my money.
2: (laughs) Well, that is not true. I have to say... We also care about you for what your money can buy, right, in terms of goods and services. But, uh, <laughs> uh, also, big thank you to Glorine Franco, to Welles, Joa Joa, Christine Lind, and are you tired of Windows? Try Pop OS. Linux for everyone. Search Pop OS. And if you'd like us to advertise your alternative operating system through a one-line Patreon name, you too can sign up over at patreon.com slash aisle45pod.
0: I like it. Advertise for a buck an episode. Yeah, that's why that's not? a really good going rate. Uh, okay, now on to the A block. Oh. And Andrew, <laughs> my yeah. first question for you is: I, f- <laughs> what's a Daubert motion? <laughs> 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 because that's all they would fucking talk about. Is that well? If we can have an evidentiary hearing or a Daubert motion, you'd be able to call this bullshit out yourself, Judge. It's just. Incredible what happened today. I took copious notes, but I, I, I wanted to get that out of the way. I wanted to find out what a daubert motion was because that seemed like their go-to thing. That and an evidentiary hearing uh, for for these kraken uh, lawyers. Yeah.
2: So uh, first, let's unpack with a little bit of background here. This is a uh, this was a telephonic hearing held in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan. The case is King versus Whitmer. So this is one of the Kraken lawsuits, and uh, it's before federal uh, U.S. District Court Judge Linda Parker. And today was the hearing on sanctions for each and every lawyer who appeared on behalf of or was named in any pleading filed by the plaintiffs, right? Um, and that includes right. So the so this was not a f- formally. Uh, a Trump joint. Uh, this was a bunch of different named plaintiffs. They are Timothy King, Marion Sheridan, John Haggard, Charles Richard, James Hooper, and Darren Rubing, who were uh, who sued uh, the state of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, the Board of State Canvassers, um, I, alleging you know that uh, in a state that Joe Biden won by over one hundred and fifty thousand votes that. You know, Hugo Chavez sent demons through Dominion voting machines to convert votes into votes for uh, Joe Biden. Um, this re- <laughs> What was notable was the judge required, as I said, each and every lawyer uh, who had ever appeared on behalf of the plaintiffs to be here today at the sanctions hearing, which, by the way, when a lawyer says that... Um, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and, and so all of the lawyers themselves retained counsel to represent them at this hearing today. Um, and these are, you know, Kraken lawyers, Kraken lawyers. I always mispronounce it. But anyway, these are Kraken lawyers. So this is Linwood, Sidney Powell, Howard Kleinhandler, I you know, a who's who of awful monsters. Um, and uh, And it was hysterical. So, <laughs> so
0: the 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 Kleinfelder and Powell and the the those were the ones who filed the suit, or are those the ones who who are representing the
2: lawyers. Yeah, no, no. So they filed the suit. So so I'm glad you asked the question. Let's unpack because it's multiple layers. So the named plaintiffs, the people I talked about, Tim King, Marion Sheridan, all of these are just you know lunatics. Um, filed the suit. They were egged on to do so by Sidney Powell. They were represented by a team of loser kraken lawyers, um, and that team included uh, Sidney Powell, Howard Kleinhandler, Lynn Wood, uh, as well as some folks who have been involved in multiple uh, of these loser lawsuits. Julia Haller, she put on the best show today. Mm-hmm. Brandon Johnson um, and uh, and and Emily. Oh boy, I need to I need to make sure I get her name right because. Uh, She used the it's my first day defense over and over again, Mm -hmm. which was which was kind of amazing. Um, But uh, 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 yeah, so. And then there was Campbell. Campbell was also. So what happened was. Right. So all of those people that we just named themselves hired lawyers. (laughs) They hired Donald Campbell, who is a Michigan lawyer who specializes in handling attorney grievance cases to represent. So if you're ever in a case in which your lawyer has to hire a lawyer in the middle of the case, um, that's probably not great.
0: Yeah, boy. And I tell you, after uh, the way Campbell talked to the judge today, I don't know that he's going to want to keep working in Michigan.
2: Uh, he, he may be sanctioned himself. We are, we are going to get to it. Right. So that's the multiple layers here. By the way, the name I couldn't quite come up with was Emily Newman, uh, whose defense was it's my first mm-hmm. day. Newman.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right. I should have remembered that. Oh, uh, I know. I know we should have. So um, now to 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 get to your question, what's a Daubert hearing is, uh, th- th- if this were, you know, if we were doing it Jeopardy style, I would say, you know, if the answer is what's a Daubert hearing, the question is, how do you know that the lawyers to be sanctioned ran out of good legal arguments and began just throwing nonsense out there uh, because a Daubert hearing is a hearing upon which the court can adjudicate the merits of a potential expert witness. And if you're thinking, what the fuck does that have to do with sanctioning Sidney Powell for being a lying liar? The answer is not a damn thing, right? Over and over again, the Argument being made kind of followed this track. The judge would say, um, Mr. Campbell, do any of your clients, have they done any due diligence in vetting any of your expert witnesses when they said, and then for like three hours, it was like, so here was one of your dipshit expert witnesses who said, you know, I just watched all the ballots vote, you know, flip the votes from Biden to From Trump to Biden and then get sent off to Venezuela, um, did you vet that statement? And then all of the lawyers would kind of sit mute for a second. And then Campbell would say, well, Your Honor, we're not here on a Daubert motion, so you don't know that that expert witness is not qualified. And then the judge would kind of look askance at at Donald Campbell and say, "Um, you tried to admit as an expert witness somebody who was an auto mechanic who filed under the secret code name of Spider. Are you really telling me you want a Daubert hearing on that? And then Donald Campbell would say, well, you know, without a Daubert hearing, you can't prove that my clients were, you know, idiotically negligent lawyers. And the judge was like, okay, well, if that's your argument, so note it.
0: Yeah, and their other repeated defense seemed to be, well, all of these affidavits, which she did go over in quite a bit of detail one one by one all of these affiants which is a person who signs <laughs> yeah. an affidavit all these affidavits signed by the affiants which were written by professional affidavit writers were filed in a previous lawsuit constantino versus what detroit and and so and thereby since they were filed in another suit uh, those lawyers, we assumed, because lawyers do due diligence, we assumed they did their due diligence so that we didn't have to. And I felt like yelling, you're going to be sanctioned because you didn't. And you're you're relying on someone else that that did. And so, I mean, they kind of were throwing the Constantino lawyers under the bus who probably deserved to be thrown under the bus.
2: Uh, they, they do. <laughs> um,
0: uh, but but that seemed to be. There, well this isn't a hearing on that and and then their other defense seemed to be like well if you just let the case go forward on the merits we could have you could have decided these witnesses were full of shit on your own judge well why, why do I need to do that?
2: Um, <laughs> oh, all right. over and over and over Yeah um, so I want to tackle both of those two points that you just made. I, I will tell you that the, the Constantino stuff provided truly the most entertaining, misunderstanding on the day in which uh, Julia Haller, uh, who, you know, by the way, has been practicing law for longer than I have, right. Um, Seemed truly not to understand at a level that, you know, cause this is a zoom call and there were between uh, 17 and 20 people in the zoom call the entire time set up in the boxes, like the Brady bunch. Right. And there were moments in which you could see the mouths kind of hang open of every single person except Julia Holler making these arguments. So let's unpack. Why is the Constantino case important? The Constantino case, you will recall, and I, and I do not know why it was not referred to as such. If I were, Fink, uh, think um, the lawyer on behalf of Detroit, who by the way, did an amazing job. I did a much yes. better job than I, I would have done. Right. Cause, cause this is David Fink uh, outside counsel hired by the city of Detroit to represent it in this case. Um, if I were trying to explain the Constantino case, I'd be like, you know, that's the one that got parodied on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and Carano, the witness we're talking about, was Drunky McDrunkerson, right? With the whole like, well, I saw the back of the ballot, and they did it. And instead, you know, they all politely referred to the Carano affidavit and everything. But, but, but so here was the argument. The argument was, time and time again, you had... The exact same evidence that was before a similar court in Constantino, uh, for which there was a public hearing. We know about that because it was parodied on Saturday Night Live, uh, in which the judge in that case said, you're bonkers and full of nonsense. And these affidavits are, you know, smeared in human feces on toilet paper scraps like Get yeah,
0: out and, of here. And <laughs> and Fink had mentioned that multiple times. Yeah. Every time somebody brought up Constantino, he would be like, look, uh, yes, those motions were filed. Judge Kenny, who in was the yep. judge in that case, in the Constantino case, went through this particular affidavit, because the way that this, this particular Zoom call for the sanctions hearing was set up is that there were opening discussions, and then the judge went through affidavit by affidavit, and well, I should say claim in the complaint that <laughs> refers to affidavits and then went through the affidavits and then uh, and one at a time and and yep. all of them are just fantastical was a word used today <laughs> and and fink would come back and say again those were filed just because they were filed you didn't vet it and and before you s- submitted your complaint judge kenny tore apart that affidavit yep. like and so so don't even act like you had no idea and you were relying on the goodwill due diligence of the previous lawyers in the Costantino case
2: yeah and and <clears throat> let me let me try and make the best analogy that i can if s- suppose you and i have a a range of disputes against each other and we have piecemeal lawsuits that that are filed and i introduce an expert witness on i don't know damages at the first trial, and the court rules that my expert is not qualified, dismisses the case out, and uh, and is sent, it doesn't impose sanctions, but essentially says, you know, Mr. Torres, you should be embarrassed for introducing this piece of evidence in this case. The question is, can a subsequent lawyer introduce that exact same evidence supported by the exact same affiant, writing almost word for word the exact same affidavit in another case. And if your answer to that is, well, obviously, of course not. Congratulations, you're smarter and a better lawyer than Sidney Powell. Um, But that's what they did, right? They've got this core group of like Terpsichore and Spider and, you know, these lunatics who are willing to lie under oath, who get caught out for lying under oath, that they don't get charged with perjury because nobody gets charged with perjury unless you back out of a plea deal or you know there's there's some you know similarly egregious circumstances, um, and then they just packed it up, cut and pasted, and filed again over and over again in a bunch of different jurisdictions. And we've talked about that on this show where you know references to. Uh, you know, like the Detroit Processing Center show up in the Pennsylvania lawsuit, right? because because again, these are sixty two different hack job cut and paste jobs with the same common nucleus of operative morons, right? And all of these, so this was your first point on Constantino, the The question that the judge was asking was, can can any of you lawyers come in here and defend that you did? a modicum of work in figuring out whether the stuff you wanted to put in front of this court for for me as a judge and for a potential jury to rely on as potentially true, as potentially dispositive of this case, did you do the slightest amount of background work to figure that out? And the only argument, that that's why, you know, ties back to the original question, uh, that uh, that Campbell had on, on behalf of his uh, soon-to-be-sanctioned clients was well, you know, we're not here at a, we would be prepared to defend the qualifications of spider if this were a Daubert hearing, which no, they would not. And that, that ties into your second question, which is, you know, sort of talking about the difference between this hearing and a trial on the merits. And uh, why don't, why don't we get into that after the break?
0: Yeah, sounds good. And I also have some questions about the first amendment. (laughs) <laughs> I everybody, thought you might. Everybody, uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill for Clean Up On Now 45. The world is racing to get back to normal, and we're all rushing to meet up in person again. But after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal takes time. I found it exhilarating but also very stressful and anxiety-inducing to go back out into the world. I'm trying to remember the importance of prioritizing my mental health during this time. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you are not alone, and that's important to know. And it's also important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. Uh, I like to keep things simple. That's why I love Talkspace therapy. The Talkspace app makes it easy to connect with your licensed therapist on your schedule without having to wait weeks before your next appointment or to go out and sit in a crowded waiting room. I get to have convenient live video sessions all from the comfort of my phone so I can do it from anywhere and take my therapist with me. Talkspace therapists have developed tools to help you cope in difficult times, whether you're a parent, student, millennial, if you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or just someone who's having a hard day. Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better. Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy, too, in addition to medication and prescription services. With thousands of licensed therapists available to match with, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more, to help you start feeling better. So set goals with your therapist, and they can help you make sure you're really progressing and start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com. And you'll get $100 off your first month with use promo code CLEANUP, all one word. That's $100 off when you use promo code CLEANUP, all one word, at Talkspace.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about, oh gosh, uh, so many things. But my two main points are the defenses. First was the Constantino case and the second part, which you were about to get to, Andrew. Tell us.
2: Yeah. So... And that was, how does this match up to sort of the merits of the underlying argument? I, I, and you and I had this kind of back and forth on Twitter as we were both watching sort of uh, open-mouthed uh, this, uh, this unbelievable four-plus-hour comedy routine uh, unfold over YouTube. Um, it, 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 is, it is notable. So let me explain what happened. Uh, you've alluded to it. Um, but, but I want to just note, as a lawyer who has successfully argued and won multiple sanctions motions against uh, opposing parties and against opposing counsel, right, um, I, 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 I want to illustrate how, A, how rare that is, and B, in both of those, uh, in, in, in each of the last two successful sanctions motions, that I have argued in federal court, those have been decided on the papers, right? Like there was not a need to have a hearing. It was, we put forth like, this is the misconduct on the other side, right? So most recent case, I had um, an opposing uh, counsel and uh, their client who refused to stop contacting my client And my clients, donors and employees and contractors with these like, you know, breathless, uh, you know, breaking news kind of updates, right? Proposing to characterize the litigation. And I I sent like a dozen polite letters and said, come on, man, like they're represented by counsel. You got something you want to say to my client, say it to me. Don't have your client draft these stupid inflammatory emails and send them off to my client. And, and ultimately, like, we just had a disagreement on that. And they were like, nope, uh, we think we're totally entitled for my client to send deranged, unhinged emails out to your client. Um, I did not mention I could talk about his client, you know, three times a week on podcasts. But, like, that's not how I practice the fucking law, because you're not supposed to do that, right? I respect the notion that when the other side is represented by counsel, uh, you you know, you uh, you communicate through counsel. Anyway, um I moved for sanctions. We won. We got sanctions. That was decided on the papers themselves. The judge sort of looked at it and was like, okay, yeah, on balance, I think you ought not to, you know, send harassing emails, so stop it. What this judge, Judge Linda Parker, wanted to do was to go point by point through the allegations in the complaint and ask each and every one of these lawyers: hey, what work did you do to figure out when you made this? absurd, ridiculous, unsupported, scandalous allegation in your complaint. What work did you do to figure out if that was remotely plausibly true?
0: Like and- a great example is the triple hearsay <laughs> yeah. um, that, that was discussed for for quite a bit. And mm-hmm. in, in this particular uh, triple hearsay thing, we've heard about this before. You've talked about this before. Uh, somebody who was an attorney who said they were attorney, but acting as a as a poll watcher, was told by a another GOP challenger that someone told him that they talked to someone who was crying because other people told her to backdate ballots. <laughs> and so it's a it's a literally my best friend's brother's boyfriend's cousin's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 flavors <laughs> last night. It is that. And and so she's like you're really going to that's really you're going to you're going to put in triple hearsay as evidence. And, and and of course, Campbell's like, absolutely, your honor. <laughs> and, and was just a dick to her. But that's like one example of the diatribe of these different affidavits and their claimants. And and and, and because because the judge made made specifically to, to tell us for sure that it's not just the affidavits. It's that you reference them in your complaint and then she would take them to the complaint page and paragraph number. Uh, of their complaint and you, and how it was subsumed in this language about how, you know, the Michigan uh, election was fucked up. Uh, and so, so that's one example. I just wanted to, sorry to interject that. No,
2: no, 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 no. That, that, that is a perfect illustration. And, you know, it tied back together with, with your previous point that <laughs> what Campbell wanted to do and, failed utterly in doing so was to say well your honor like we're just the lawyers you can't hold us responsible for everything an expert witness says like yeah and there was even kind of this air of like well you know you know when we call an expert witness like they might be a lunatic who the hell knows like and, and and campbell would say like you know and the other side's got an opportunity to cross-examine them so you know if we if we flood the field with a bunch of, you know, spiders and terpsichores and what, then like, they'll just, you know, discredit them on cross-examination. And, and there's almost, look like that, that's the kernel of a fair point, right? Like there, there is a level at which, right. The, the trial process is, is meant to adjudicate, um, you know, the, the witness the,
0: statements. Yeah. Witness. Yeah, statements <laughs> exactly.
2: But, when you package everything together, when the entirety of your thousand page complaint are scandalous allegations with no evidentiary support that have been discredited in dozens of other proceedings, at some point, right, like the the, the, the judge's point was, you have to look at this and go, uh, it is not, it is below and beneath my duty as an officer of the court in coming in here in, in saying, well, this might be right. You know, it's not right. And And,
0: aside from it having been adjudicated in another court or being called ridiculous by, by judge Kenny and Constantino, (laughs) she's also like the language is very vague. You, you represented somebody as being perplexed as evidence. Yeah. Uh, and, And like I thought,
2: or, you know, it occurred to me that maybe, or, I got a feeling that yeah, I was suspicious. Yeah, no the, the perplexed and the suspicious each took up about about a half an hour. But but it, you know, I want to I want to kind of wrap all of it together. This is calling the lawyers into account for the substantive arguments that were made in the complaint and mm-hmm. and and their sole defense was well you know you could cross examine us on this it it, it illustrates the or you can cross examine the witnesses on this it illustrates the utter ridiculousness of the claim, and we, we've discussed this on this show and on Opening Arguments, that is sort of circulating around the right-wing o-sphere that is like, oh, well, you know, all of these liberal judges prevented us from making our case, and they never looked at the evidence. That This was looking at their so-called evidence, and they could not run away from it faster, right? Like, they could <laughs> exactly. not, they, they, they got on a, rocket powered motorcycle and you know burned in the other tr- if you were at tr- if you were at trial right not y- you would have to introduce these witnesses you'd have to call them to the stand and again you would be subject to the rules of professional conduct that prevent you from suborning perjury and we would be here you know in a, in a similar but uh, even more densely layered proceeding that says you know Mr. Klein Endler, you stuck somebody on the stand who just made stuff up and you knew that they made stuff up because you've lost 62 of these lawsuits and you know that there's no basis for this anymore. Um, yeah. it was it, it was it was truly uh, astonishing.
0: And then they made a First Amendment argument. And I thought that this was an interesting discussion, too, uh, by, by trying to convince the judge that, that filing the claim, uh, the bullshit that they put in their claim, referencing these affiants who are full of shit, is within the First Amendment rights of the lawyers. And the judge's argument, w- basically, very simple question. She goes, well, then tell me in what circumstances would sanctions be appropriate? Or are they never appropriate because lawyers can just submit to the court whatever they want under this super broad? Is it an all broad First Amendment protection? Do you tell me when? Tell me under what circumstances I I could sanction a lawyer if that's the case? Yeah. If not here, basically. If not here,
2: where? So this was a question that was directed to Stephanie Lynn Gentilla. Um, who is the lawyer that has been retained by the plaintiff, now that they've fired all the Kraken lawyers, right, uh, retained by the plaintiffs to argue the appeal. Um, they have, she has no chance of winning on appeal, right? It, it, it's it, crazy. Um, and uh, this kind of made the the Twitter sphere for a while uh, because, because uh, the end of her um, sort of three-page brief as to why she should not be held responsible for sanctions was, well, you know, lawyers have a First Amendment right to say kind of whatever the hell they want, and I will not insult this court with a citation of cases that are far too numerous to mention. Uh, And and this was just a chef's kiss moment uh, in which uh, Judge Parker was like... "Um, I, I promise I won't get offended. You want to tell me what that citation would be? Uh, and you could just see the color drain out of, of Stephanie's face. Um, and, and so the judge said, well, if you don't have a citation, I have one for you, uh, which is Mezabov versus Allen, 411, F3, 712. It's a Sixth Circuit opinion, um, so binding in Michigan. And it says um, whether an attorney can claim First Amendment protection on his own behalf for his filing motions and making courtroom statements on behalf of a client is a question of first impression in the circuit, right? So this was 2005 case that is squarely on point, right? What kinds of First Amendment rights do lawyers have when they're arguing in court? And the Sixth Circuit said, you know, you might think, oh, First Amendment, super broad, yeah, probably covers lawyers. You'd have it exactly wrong. Here's what the court said in Mezabob, and they are quoting, by the way, extensively from relevant precedent in the district and also from uh, the Supreme Court. It says, it is not surprising that courts have been reluctant to allow the First Amendment to intrude into the courtroom. At first blush, the courtroom seems like the quintessential arena for public debate. But upon closer analysis, it is clear this is not and never has been an arena for free debate. An attorney's speech in court and in motion papers has always been tightly cabined by various procedural and evidentiary rules, along with the heavy hand of judicial discretion. In fact, judges regularly fine attorneys and even throw them in jail from time to time as a direct consequence of attorney's in-court speech, and it appears no circuit court has ever found this to violate the First Amendment. <laughs> I could go on. But, but yeah, right, as, as you pointed out, right, Judge Judge Parker essentially, like said— this seems to be the law. Um, we can and should discipline attorneys for speech that you would be perfectly fair to engage in uh, just as an ordinary person. But like, get that shit out of my courtroom. <laughs> and 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 she's a hundred percent right. Like nobody is saying we should, you know, round up and arrest QAnon idiots, right? Who get under Reddit and are like, I know, Joe Biden is secretly not the president and there was a face-off thing and they got into the secret basement of the pizza parlor at Comet Ping Pong. Right? Go ahead. Be crazy on your own dime. But when you professional, and this is really important to me because, you know, it's my profession. When you represent somebody, you are not there to opine as to your own views. You are there... To engage in a in a in a tightly confined argument on yeah. behalf of your client, and you're limited to the stuff that you can do. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it reminds me of when I wrote my doctoral dissertation. They're like, "This looks like your opinion right here. Do you have a citation for this sentence? The, this right here looks like something that you you think. Uh, we aren't interested in what you think. We're interested in the previous body of knowledge and what you're adding to it." Uh, this right here, uh, this looks like sort of something that you're concluding or hypothesizing. Do you have a whole section on how you tested this statement? Or do you have a citation of somebody who's made this statement in the past? It's very constricted. And it's and for a very good reason. And I, I absolutely love when she's like, I just can you imagine having a, an argument where you're like, uh, uh, all right, well, I think. Joe Biden is in cahoots with China. Great. Well, show me all of your evidence. Oh, there's too much of it. It would be embarrassing. You don't. You don't want me to waste your time with that. And then I say, Ah, but what if I have evidence disputing you? And uh, not that this is based on reality, but um, it is. And so that's just the kind that to see that argument play out in this in this hearing was bananas. Um, now, let's wrap this up by talking about. I know that the, that the judge asked for some supplemental briefs and you could sort of tell early on, she was like, yeah, you can tell me if you want any supplemental briefs, by the way, you, I won't probably give you any, unless I tell you that I want some, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was, but she did it in a very uh, kind of implied way. Uh, but she does want supplemental briefings on what, when these lawyers were made aware that they were coming in, that they were being, uh, there was a motion of sanctions against them, right? Because a lot of their a lot of their defense was I didn't even know I didn't even know, bro.
2: Yeah, and and there are two levels of argument that are that are being made here. It, it, it was it was really kind of very technical on behalf of all of the Kraken lawyers, right? Except with the put an asterisk by Linwood, uh, and by the way, that was my favorite moment of the day uh, was when Judge Parker asked. Uh, Campbell, you also represent Lin Wood, right? And, and Campbell said, well, you know, to the extent that anybody can, I guess I do. <laughs> which, which is yeah. just if your lawyer ever says that in open court uh, and linwood got that stepped up and was like well might, might might be having to find a new lawyer uh yeah. which is yeah, uh, probably a good that. idea <laughs> but yeah, anyway. and it
0: was actually <laughs> the only thing i tweeted from the whole when i was oh. listening to the whole thing was when linwood was like just want everybody to know i had nothing to do with this my name's not on it uh casino hands i have no part in this peace out you know yeah
2: uh sh- which is sh- sh-
0: another defense
2: so, so there are basically two different levels of argument about service of process. With respect to everybody who is not Lynn Wood, the argument is a technical defect in how the pleadings were served and whether they complied with all of the requirements of Rule 11. Okay. And what that means is you have to give the parties 21 days notice before you file your rule 11 motions. you got to give them every chance to like correct the stuff that's wrong about the record uh, and withdraw. I am confident in predicting that argument is going to go absolutely nowhere. It's a garbage argument. This judge doesn't care about it. Uh, and, you know, that that whatever, you got to throw everything you can at the wall at this point because... Uh, you know, as, as Campbell realized halfway through this hearing, like it, it, his clients are losing and there's nothing that he can do to, to, to yeah, stop so, that from happening.
0: So she's just kind of crossing her T's and dotting her eyes here saying, for, all right, well, send me your shit not, uh, so that she can make sure that is settled.
2: Right. For that one. For for Lynn Wood, there is the argument that you tweeted out that he has been making, which is. I, I don't even know. We're in a courtroom of some sort. Like, I don't even know why I'm here. I, my name is nothing. what? What is my yeah. name
0: again? Who are and, you? And
2: and it is. I'm not uh, a cat. Yeah. We have, we have talked about this on Opening Arguments. I'm going to delve into the trap element a little bit more when we do a follow-up on this on a deep dive on OA uh, on the Friday episode. So a little bit of a plug there. But 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 this is designed to set a trap for Linwood, And it is this. It is clear everybody in that room on that call knows that he's lying. The uh, attorney for the city of Detroit that we've mentioned a bunch of times here, right? David Fink um, uh, knows uh, that that Linwood is lying when he says, I don't have anything to do with any of this um, and has introduced into evidence Linwood's own pleadings. (laughs) ...from a pro hoc vice motion in Delaware in which he um, uh, represents Carter Page. You and I have talked about that. And the, the court in Delaware, uh, after watching Linwood's behavior uh, before and after the, the uh, Capitol insurrection on its own motion, said, I don't want this asshole practicing in my court. I'm going to revoke his pro hac vice motion unless, and, and so it was a show-cause order, unless he can show good cause uh, as to why I shouldn't. And in his response to the court's show-cause order, Linwood said, I'm an expert at this. I represent all sorts of election people, including I represent a group of plaintiffs in Michigan challenging he used the it, certification. Uh, so
0: he, he used it as an argument in another jurisdiction to prove that he's not a piece of shit.
2: Right, when he thought it would help him. And so what this Ooh, qu- And so buddy. and so Linwood is playing fast and loose here, and what Judge Parker did was say because you heard Linwood multiple times said, "Why don't we just do a hearing here? You can ask everybody on the call and they'll say I have nothing to do with it." And Judge Parker very, very intelligently said, "I uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to brief this, Mr. Wood." And the reason she is doing that is because that will then be a document, a pleading that Lynn Wood, by and through counsel probably, uh, will have to file under oath in this court, and he will have to take a position. And whatever position he takes will be contradicted by the, by some record. So it is going to be delicious and juicy and wonderful, and I, I just can't wait to, to see that. Um, that, that, is, uh, that is due in 14 days. Right. so 14 days okay so she July did file, 26th. Yep.
0: she did put the order in for yep. that yep. order before July 26th and are there any uh, other pending uh, date deadlines in this uh, case
2: so everybody so there's going to be supplemental briefing by Campbell who is going to raise uh, the very technical service of process issue and going to lose uh, by think uh, who is there to show the connection that everyone has to the case? Um, which principally will affect Emily Newman um, that we've talked about, by Lynn Wood and by Stephanie Gentilia. Um, I I have no idea what Stephanie's brief is going to say, but I can't wait to read (laughs) it.
0: All right. Uh, It's going to be interesting for sure. So uh, we'll get those. Are are they all due on the 26th?
2: Everyone is due on the 26th. Then uh, response within seven days of that, and then that's it. Uh, so, no other hearings, and the decision will follow. And then, so first week of August, uh, you are going to see uh, referrals for disbarment uh, for uh, Howard Kleinhandler and Sidney Powell at minimum.
0: That's what you know. What that was exactly my uh, prediction. They would she would refer to the chief judge on Powell and uh, at least Powell, possibly Kleinhandler, and then. There would be, uh, I think that the rest of them would be barred from practicing in the Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, not barred, but, uh, you know, the judge prohibited. can say, yeah, yeah you, you're prohibited from doing this Eastern v- District of, of Michigan and possibly fines. Yep.
2: Oh, oh, I think they will get fined and I think they will get uh, a, a wide ranging imposition of attorney's fees. Will not be attorney's fees for the entire litigation, uh, but it will be a lot.
0: Yep, cool. So you think the same thing I. Right? All right, sweet. We're in accordance in our beans. Uh, that makes me feel good. Caps. Yeah,
2: about my pins um, and beans.
0: <laughs> pins and beans. I like it. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to be right back. We've got a lot of other cleanup news that happened this week. We're going to cover that in the C block. And then, of course, we have comings and goings. So you don't want to miss Woo. that. It's a, it's a big one this week. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and I am happy and proud to announce we are launching our very own podcast network. It's called MSW Media, and it's going to feature the work of some incredibly talented and intelligent people, including Glenn Kirshner with Justice Matters, On Topic with Renato Mariotti, Prevail by Greg Oliar, opening arguments with Andrew Torres and Thomas Smith, The Bureau with Frank Fogluzzi. And that's just to name a few. Of course, there's The Daily Beans, Muller, she wrote, "Clean up on aisle 45. Uh, our network is woman-run and veteran-owned, and our mission is to curate news, politics, and justice, and engage voters so we can win in 2022 and beyond. I am so proud of this community and this group of content creators, so please check us out at mswmedia.com and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, welcome back. We have a flurry of cleanup stories for you in this block. Andrew, you've already covered in detail Trump's ridiculous lawsuit against Twitter and Facebook (laughs) on opening arguments, I assume?
2: Yes, indeed.
0: All right, we don't need to rehash that here. I've covered it on Daily Beans, too. So let's start instead with Biden's Pentagon scrapping the $10 billion deal with Microsoft after Amazon sued for not being awarded the contract in 2019.
2: Yeah, and I do these kinds of uh, you know bid protest cases, albeit I'll, I'll usually on a slightly smaller scale on behalf of my clients. But but here we go. Uh, so, public statement last week, uh, Department of Defense said that the <laughs> Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, which abbreviates to Jedi. I just love that. Uh, so the Jedi contract is a ten-year uh, deal for classified data storage, cloud computing services to the military. Uh, does not meet its current needs, citing quote, evolving requirements, increased cloud con- conversancy, and industry advances. Basically, you know, you're not up to best practices speed with technology.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Did they mention Amazon and their objections at all in this n- statement?
2: N- no. And you wouldn't expect them to, right? So, right. so you know what what what. The Pentagon ha- has been hinting for months that they were reconsidering Jedi, right? And uh, it's not hard to see that, like, those concerns get raised when you have a bid protester that is bombarding you with uh, internal complaints, right? And that was the Amazon litigation. And so procedurally, the way that works is you have to exhaust your administrative uh, remedies before you can go to court, right? And in the process of exhausting those administrative remedies, you know, you might think, like, So, you know, the the first level is you go back to the same decision makers and say, we think you made a mistake and you missed X. Um, You will not be surprised to learn that, you know, the people who awarded the contract, you know, to Microsoft, when you say we think you made a mistake, their first response is usually, well, we respectfully disagree. Right. Um, So. uh, Yeah, but the
0: government, you know, and I know this because I've done a bunch of these contract bids. Yeah. They have a process, which is you put out the bid, the people come in, you go through the things, you make a selection, people can object, then you have to reconsider, and then you can make a final decision, and then there can be an appeal. And then, you know, I mean, there's always this, and I'm sure the Pentagon is the same way. I mean, if it's probably more steps at the Pentagon than there was at the Department of Veterans Affairs, but, you know, there's this whole big long thing that, that I don't think got consideration.
2: Yeah, well, and, and you and Amazon would be, you know, sort of in the same camp on that. And this is common in government contract cases. You, you, you would say one of, the, one of the most frequent reasons that is given to protest the awarding of a particular contract is to say, we think there was some kind of undue influence here. And that is, in fact, what Amazon told Forbes. They said that uh, the, the decision to use Microsoft and not Amazon think about this, was due to, quote, outside influence that has no place in the government, end of quote.
0: Yeah, and I I assume we can mean they're referring to the fact that Trump hates Bezos, who owns Amazon, because he also owns the Washington Post, and that's only among other reasons that he hates Bezos. I mean, I remember when Trump tried to get the old pre-DeJoy Postmaster Mm -hmm. General to double Amazon shipping rates for no reason, and I was going like, that's a fucking impeachable offense. Why isn't anybody... That's what Nixon did and was impeached. Why isn't anybody doing anything about that? And then the GSA thing with the FBI thing. But I remember him trying to him trying to triple, double, triple the Amazon shipping rates.
2: I, I he had uh, the, the DOJ instigate um, antitrust investigations into Amazon, which, by the way, um, totally welcome. Right. Like he we, yeah, we should fine. absolutely look at the market power that Amazon has. Uh, but yeah, I would, I'm not I would, a
0: cheerleader for Bezos, billionaire yeah, here. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you, you can't do this shit in government when you're making contract decisions.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> you're not supposed to be able to. So um, I, I I, completely agree with that. Um, and, and, and I think <sighs> if my business depended on doing business with the government, the last four years would have been a challenge, right? <laughs> so, you know, even Microsoft is... You know, all but said they understand that th- this decision saying, quote, the DOD faced a difficult choice, continue with what could be a years long litigation battle or. Find another path forward.
0: <laughs> yeah, even if that path is to just give everyone a fair shot and go through the correct process and not up- apply weird biases, right? Because it, it, it might Microsoft might end up with this contract after all, but Amazon would be happy and probably not able to as much to litigate if we follow the rules. So, you know, I'm going to assume, in grand government tradition, they'll rewrite the project probably and call for new bids.
2: Yeah, they will just release a new. Uh, RFP. Um, I I, I need to tell you, right, like typically when you have a bid protest, I I would say probably 20% of the time or less it's successful Um, and usually the remedy you get is not the remedy you ask for, right? Like what you ask for when you bring a a bid protest is um, it should have been us, make us the recipients instead. You almost never get that but sometimes you will convince the government to say, you know what, we're just going to scrap that old contract altogether uh, and we're going to replace it with a new one. Yeah. Uh, and and that's what they've done here. So the Pentagon says that they're going to replace Jedi with a new program called the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability uh, and will solicit bids from both Amazon and Microsoft and could award the deal to more than one company. So uh, yeah, that's, that's a couple of good new bites at the Apple frame.
0: Yep. Yep. Over my 12 years in, in government service, I only saw this type of thing, uh, like a scrap and a redo done one time. Um, and that was because the government actually wanted to go with a different bidder <laughs> than they originally chose. But yeah. because it takes a year and some bad shit happened in that year, they were like, we're going to scrap this and start again, uh, so, and which is all legal. Um, all right. In other cleanup news, the U.S. Commerce Department released a report this week on proposed auto tariffs that Trump refused to make public. Uh, What did that report say? (laughs) And what were the what are the implications?
2: (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So the report was released last Tuesday, and it outlined what everybody who is not a Trump voter already knows, right? Like Trump's intention to charge tariffs on vehicle and auto parts imports because (laughs) Because they were deemed a national security threat. Uh, That is not the case, by the way. Uh, Lawmakers at the time, including Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, pressed for the study's release, saying that that justification was unfounded because it was.
0: Yeah, he was actually quoted. Toomey's quoted as saying, a a quick glance confirms what we expected. The justification for these tariffs was so entirely unfounded that even the authors were too embarrassed to let it see the light of day. (laughs)
2: Exactly. And it, I mean, it is just uh, the, the the degree to which Trump was able to rewrite history in the making in front of his supporters is just, I, I, I could fill a dozen podcasts and 50 books. Anyway, um, the analysis focused on whether to impose tariffs on the auto imports under Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act. And that allows for duties without a vote by Congress if those imports would be deemed a national security threat. Is, is that the
0: same uh, law, the Trade Expansion Act, that he used to put tariffs on steel and aluminum, too?
2: It is, yeah. So the justification in this report for the auto and auto parts imports is a- absolutely ridiculous, right? The study determined that the national security risk for purposes of Section 232 includes the, quote, general security and welfare of certain industries beyond those necessary to satisfy national defense requirements. It found that of the excessive imports, quote, the serious effects resulting from the consequent displacement of production in the U.S. is causing a weakening of our internal economy that may impair the national security. All
0: right. Uh, Now, I would understand if you were going to import, like, Missiles to use uh, from Russia that that could pose a national security problem because they would probably send you used pinball machine casings full of shoddy <laughs> pinball machine parts. Uh, used
2: what? Used Libyans. <laughs>
0: used bomb casings full of used shoddy pin uh,
2: used pinball machine parts. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, so okay, national security, but auto parts.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it is. It's just. Uh, it's a six-layer chain of inferences, right? That like if. Uh, I don't put these tariffs on. That will competitively hurt the U.S. auto industry. If we competitively hurt the U.S. auto industry, then we lack domestic capacity to manufacture additional war machines in potential times of war, and that puts our national security at risk. And if that seems like a bizarre chain of inferences to you, congratulations are everybody who is not a Donald Trump Trumpson.
0: That's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, I'm glad the new Commerce Department is out from under the thumb of droopy dog.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, next up, President Biden is uh, setting the federal government's sights on the power of big tech and big telecom in a competition order that will urge more regulation and enforcement against the sectors.
2: Oh, yes. So the new EO includes over 70 different initiatives that are aimed at promoting competition in areas of the economy that the Biden administration finds a troubling amount of concentration, right? Uh, We alluded to this earlier, including uh, technology markets, right? So the order takes aim at big tech by encouraging the FTC to adopt new rules on the accumulation of personal data and banning unfair methods of competition in online marketplaces and adopting a policy giving more scrutiny to mergers by dominant online platforms focusing on those involving smaller competitors, serial mergers, data accumulation, the effect on privacy, and the competition of free products. Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, right. Yeah. Google, YouTube. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Pretty much directly aimed at that. Wait, I'm very glad about this because I, all of us only get the choice of one cable provider, and the antitrust argument is, well, you can decide not to have cable. <laughs> right, cool. Thanks. Um, The White House also wants Internet service providers to offer a broadband nutrition label, so to speak, Mm. detailing their Internet packages to give consumers transparency when they're buying services. Uh, The executive order will encourage the FCC to reinstate net neutrality rules, prohibiting the blocking, throttling or paid prioritization of web traffic that was repealed by Trump's FCC. I fucking love this. I love this because this throttling shit sucks.
2: Yeah, and and it answers the libertarian argument on why you should permit throttling, right? Which is, well, you know, we have, and, and I'm not kidding, I, I have seen this, the The argument of like, well, you know, if you look at uh, uh, Hungary's internet service provider, you have these slimmed down, super small ISPs that give you like you know, five gigabytes of internet data per month uh, for you know three dollars a month, and we don't. You know, those are being driven out of the market here, as if anybody wants to emulate you know uh, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries with respect to to their, to their internet. But we should have that right. <laughs> yeah, we should, and this that this will break out the data, and you will see right that that. If there – if when, when we reinstate – like, notice, <laughs> when, when we repealed net neutrality, uh, you, all of a sudden, we didn't have a wellspring of brand new ISPs providing $5 a month internet. Uh, and when it is reinstated, you will not see, you know, your ISP bills go up. But we could do an entire episode on net neutrality okay. and that. And, and, uh, um, I want to to mention other initiatives that are meant to be pro-consumer include banning excessive early termination fees. That's a good idea. And ending exclusivity arrangements in apartment buildings, right? So you come in and say, hey, we're only going to install, you know, one particular carrier. Um, And so uh, that is uh, just a sampling, like I said, over 70 different initiatives designed to actually take on the problems of big tech, not, you know, a goofball lawsuit in Florida to call them the government by pur- for purposes of the First Amendment. <clears throat> cough, cough. All right. <laughs> Final cleanup news. The Biden administration released a new policy on Friday that largely prohibits the detention of pregnant nursing and postpartum women who have been caught crossing the border illegally.
0: Yes. So Biden has done so much so far to unwind the xenophobic clusterfuck created by Stephen Miller and the yeah. likes. Uh, this policy states that, except in special circumstances where a woman's detention is mandatory, expectant mothers and those who have given birth up to one year previously will not be detained by ICE.
2: Yeah, and this is reinstating the previous long-standing policy of this country uh, not to detain pregnant women. Uh, that policy, the only time in history that it was temporarily halted, was, of course, under the other guy's administration. Uh, A DHS official said that the new new policy codifies that practice and expands it to include those with children under one. And I I would just add, just to to make clear, I know we have a lot of skeptics uh, on the left on this issue. Uh, I am certainly with you that I I think the Biden administration uh, needs to do more and needs to uh, build up its credibility in terms of completely undoing. Uh, the effects of having had right-wing white nationalists running the department for four years. Um, So I want to tell you, the bit about the uh, exception for circumstances where a woman's detention is mandatory, that's because that is imposed by statute, and so you cannot, as a matter of executive order or rulemaking, disregard the plain authority of the statute. If they tried to do that, that would render potentially all of this unconstitutional; it would get enjoined by a court. So, it's not trying to create an exception there. We need this is this is a really, really good policy, uh, and we need to recognize and give credit where, where credit is due.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that is the cleanup block. Those are the stories that I found that are the big changes that uh, I think <laughs> pertain to the interests of folks listening to this program. So, we'll be right back with comings and goings, Woo! and there's a lot to discuss. So, stick around. Spatula? Okay, kids,
1: let's go. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with a gift of a spatula? Spatula City! Spatula City! Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of Spatula City. I like their spatulas so much, I bought the company. Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under Spatulas.
0: My, where did you get that lovely spatula? Spatula City, we sell spatulas. And
1: that's all.
2: And finally, it's time for your favorite segment and mine, Comings and Goings. We begin with a long overdue and hearty welcome to Chantal Wong, who, if confirmed, would be the first out lesbian to hold an ambassador-level position in U.S. history. Now, you'd think this was a podcast from 1994 or something with that announcement, but no.
0: Yeah. President Biden announced over the weekend his intention to appoint Chantal Wong as U.S. Director of the Asian Development Bank, which works to foster economic growth uh, in the Asia-Pacific region. If approved by the Senate, like you said, she will be the first LGBTQ plus person of color, as well as the first gay woman with the rank of ambassador.
2: Yeah, and, and like pretty much every Biden appointee we talk about in this segment, um, your Uncle Frank can't just hand wave long away as a diversity hire, right, with all the ugliness that that implies. She is eminently qualified for the job. She was previously appointed to the Asian Development Bank's board of directors by President Bill Clinton, so over 20 years ago has served as the CFO of Millennium Challenge Corp., uh, as the Budget Director at NASA, and Acting Budget Director at the Treasury Department.
0: Okay, so she's done a couple things, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Uh, Ms. Wong said, if I'm confirmed by the U.S. Senate, I will serve with humility and with the purpose of advancing U.S. interests at the Asian Development Bank and the region on behalf of my fellow Americans. She also thanked her mentor, the economist Alice Rivlin, the founding director of the congressional budget office that's the, the good old CBO quote yeah. who has taught me about doing good and doing it right
2: yeah you know it's almost as if all of these wildly qualified candidates have always been out there but it's taken you know a genuinely progressive administration to increase the visibility of minorities um, and and by the way You don't have to take my word, Biden cheerleader, for it. The LGBTQ Victory Institute, which works to advance LGBTQ elected and appointed government officials, reported that uh, as of late April, Biden has appointed at least 200 LGBTQ officials, quote, exponentially more than any other president at this point in their administration. And the Victory Institute uh, has indicated that by their measures, the White House is well on its way to achieving parity between LGBTQ representation in appointments and the community's presence in the general public, which we estimated about five and a half, five point five to five point six percent. So um, wow. that that's amazing progress. Yeah.
0: Wow to have the cabinet, the White House
2: look this, like America. Look like America.
0: It's incredible. And and let's dig in a little more. The Washington Post interviewed Anise Parker, president of the Victory Institute who praised Wong for raising the bar for representation, but said of her nomination, it's, it's about more than making history. Chantelle will represent the most powerful nation in the Asian Development Bank at a time when many of its member states criminalize LGBTQ people and deny them the right to marry. Uh, her presence and leadership can change perceptions of the LGBTQ people among representatives from other nations, potentially inching countries, other countries toward more acceptance of lgbtq citizens
2: i that, that is such an excellent point uh, you know it's it's a, the course the, the cornerstone of uh, the the out movement right the idea that it's easy to demonize uh people of another group as foreign and scary when you don't work with incredibly competent representatives of that group on a daily basis so um i i i it's part of why I love and continue to emphasize that the White House is focused here on competency, right? So in their own press release, they they don't discuss the, 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 the LGBTQ elements uh, but the top line is she is, quote, a leading authority in international development policy with over thirty years of experience in the multi in the multidisciplinary field that includes finance, technology, and the environment. she's been recognized throughout her career for transforming critical processes affecting the whole of government
0: yeah yeah and i i don't want to pass over the historical nature of this though because one closing remark from parker she said president biden's administration is already the most lgbtq inclusive in history and his appointees have shattered long-standing political barriers through unthinkable uh, thought unthinkable not long ago uh, with the thousands of appointments yet to be made uh, we will continue to work with the administration to not only ensure our community is equitable equitably represented but the trans and non-binary people, uh, LGBTQ people of color, and LGBTQ women are fully represented as well.
2: Uh, here, here, here. Uh, so that's a, that's a coming. It's also nice when this administration fires somebody who really, really deserves it. And on Friday, President Joe Biden fired the Commissioner of Social Security, Woo-hoo! Andrew Saul, yeah, after he refused to resign and accepted the resignation of Deputy Commissioner David Black,
0: Both were, of course, Trump appointees. I love this. Biden named (laughs) uh, Kololo Kijakazi as acting commissioner while the administration conducts a search for permanent commissioner and deputy commissioner. Uh, Kijakazi currently is a deputy commissioner for retirement and disability policy at the Social Security
2: Administration. Yeah. So, look, this firing came after a Department of Justice OLC opinion memo that indicated that Saul could be removed. Despite the fact that the statute says he can only be fired for neglecting his duties for malfeasance, um, that analysis, and again, put an asterisk next to an LLC memorandum, the last guy relied on those an awful lot, and, and we've been duly critical. Uh, but I have to tell you, I love that this one repeatedly cited Supreme Court precedent from the past couple of years. That limits Congress's rights to set conditions on the executive branch. So it was kind of a, you know, hoist on your own petard moment. Um, so I, I I, don't want to get behind presidents hiding behind the LLC. Uh, but uh, I love that the Biden administration has, take the, uh, has taken the, uh, yeah, let's fire him first and let God sort him out quite, uh, approach to this.
0: The OLC, yeah, you know me. Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> I just removing... wanted to, to hear you give us a little uh, OPP.
0: <laughs> removing Saul, uh, better not call Saul, I guess, hmm. was popular. With Democratic base and predictably Republicans with a straight face accused Biden of politicizing the agency and pointed to Saul's confirmation by a bipartisan Senate vote in 2019. You can't politicize. I can't believe you politicized this firing. And I'm like, oh, like the firing of Jim Comey for investigating (laughs) you like that kind of thing. Anyway, nonsense. Uh, As Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden pointed out, presidents typically choose their executive branch appointees with broad discretion. Saul was confirmed by a Senate vote of 77 to 16 in 2019 to a six-year term that would have otherwise expired in January of 2025. But wasn't there a big old fucking debate that the president can fire these officers at will? Um, as long as it's not done uh, for corrupt reasons.
2: Yeah, I, I seem to recall that that position being uh, a- a- accepted by both sides, uh, extending back to 2017. But that did not stop our favorite turtle, Mitch McConnell, who knows a little something about unprecedented, dangerous politicization, to call the aster quote an unprecedented and dangerous politicization of the Social Security Administration. Fuck yeah. off.
0: <laughs> yeah, politicization of social security administration, which we would like to keep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I suppose wanting to end it entirely does not count as politics to Mitch McConnell.
0: No, no, of course not. <laughs> right. Yeah, I only want to fire the, the chief of the Social Security Administration when I got social security. That's the only time we should do it, according to Mitch McConnell. Well, uh either way, bye-bye. Bye oh, bye. Yeah, and a hearty fucking one at that too. I hated that guy. Uh, uh <clears> all right, that's our
2: show. There that's you it. go. What else that's need be said? Show. That's it. Why are you still here? Go <laughs> to point. continue it's the to, over. Yeah, <laughs> it was an A plus Ferris Bueller reference earlier. I was thinking of Spaceballs, with the Lone Star. You are my nephew's cousin's brother's third third cousin's former roommate. <laughs> what does that make us? Absolutely nothing, which is what you are about to become. Yeah. <gasps> oh, that's so good. That was a great day.
0: I had a good time watching it. Uh, should we assign everyone an 80s movie to watch for next week?
2: Oh, yeah. I what think,
0: the... you know what? I think I saw the funniest meme uh, because, you know, they're redoing Sex in the City and yeah. Samantha's not going to be part of it. So, Andrew that's, McCarthy. That's Andrew McCarthy actually took a picture of the three of the Sex and the City girls and installed himself carrying a mannequin.
2: Oh, God.
0: To say, I've, I've got Kim Cattrall for you. And I lost my shit. So I recommend everybody watch Hollywood and Mannequin <laughs> this week.
2: All right. Well, I have not seen Mannequin since the original Brat Pack days. Uh, I'm I'm positive that it holds up, and that the character of Hollywood in in no way will wind up being an offensive stereotype. Right. Um, I I look forward to uh, to reviewing this movie, and we'll 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 check back in a week from now. But uh, yeah. Allison, this is as always. It's uh, it's such a joy to do the show with you
0: absolutely and we'll see you all next week don't forget to listen to opening arguments and daily beans and muller she wrote and all the other stuff yeah oh. uh in fact you can find them all at mswmedia.com any show that you probably want to hear you can find it there so check it out at mswmedia.com until next week i've been allison gill
2: and i'm Ian torres and this has been cleanup
0: on aisle 45